Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, you know, people's last words are very significant. Um, my father passed away in November of 2014 the last day of November of 2014. But we knew it was coming because in September he had received a diagnosis of a terminal disease. So we knew and he knew that it was, it was just a matter of time. And it was, it was a horrible time, uh, frankly, for our family. We were, it was a sad time. But there were moments, there were special moments during those two or three months um, that we got to spend time together. He, he knew what was happening. He knew where he was going. He was ready to go. And some of the words that he said to me during that time left an indelible impression. I remember one day we were uh, out shopping. We had... Uh, Taken, we'd gone somewhere to a doctor's appointment or something and <clears throat> stopped by a store. Uh, my mom went inside the store. Uh, my dad and I were sitting in the car and I said, well, dad, do you, is there anything on your bucket list? You know, is there anything that you want to go do? <laughs> and he's like, nope. He said, I'm fine. I'm good. I've I'm content. God has given me a good life. And then as we talked, one of the things he wanted me to do, uh, I spent a lot of time, uh, he, he meticulously went through all of their finances with me uh, so that I would understand. Uh, and we, you know, did the legal things to make me able to you know, participate in those things. And he said, he he said, Jerry, I want you to look after your mom after I'm gone. I don't want anybody to take advantage of her financially. Those last words, they weren't the very last words he uttered, but in those closing weeks, those words made an impression on me. Well, today we're going to look at Acts chapter one, verses nine through 11 And we are going to hear the very last words that Jesus ever uttered on earth. And then the surprising event that happened afterwards. So let's call our attention. Our text is actually 1, 9 to 11, but we're going to start, we're going to start at verse 8 to set the context and to hear these words. But you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. 
Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, this event, Jesus being taken in the cloud away from them to go into the heaven, is what we know as the ascension of Christ. He ascended into heaven. This is the ascension of Jesus Christ. It was stunning to them. It was unexpected. But it was oh so important for them and for us today. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive in and we're going to find today four ways the ascension affects us. And again, as you listen, uh, at the end, I'm going to ask four of you to be willing to come pray about one of these four ways each, one of the ways that God leads you to pray in response. So here's the first, the first way the ascension affects us. It adds urgency to the task of witnessing Jesus left us. He said in verse eight, remember they had come to him and they had said, okay, Lord, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and he's like, wait a minute, it's not for you to know those times and days and seasons, you know, uh, that are in the father's hand, but here's, here's what you need to know. Here's what it's important for you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, I have a task for you. I don't want you to focus on the end times. Is this the kingdom? Is the, is, is, am I going to set up the rule now? Here's what you focus on. Focus on this task. You're going to be my witnesses. Now they knew nothing about the ministry of Jesus Christ other than the fact that he was the one who did it. I mean, they knew a lot. But everything they knew about the ministry of Jesus Christ came directly from him, from his being right there. Oh, there were a couple times when he sent them out and empowered them to go do certain things, and they came back and reported to them. But to this point, as he walked on the earth, Everything was revolving around Jesus. So if you think about the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and now they're following Jesus, it's all about what can Jesus do? He died. He he was buried. He rose again. He appeared to them. And then he said, guys... I'm bringing you in. (laughs) I'm passing the torch to you. You're, You're going to do my ministry. And at that point... Again, it's changing their paradigms. They're, they're thinking, oh, maybe now he's setting the kingdom up. Oh, no, I'm not going to set the kingdom up now. We're going to gradually bring the kingdom through witnessing to people. Okay, all right, let's try to get our heads wrapped around that. And, you know, we'll go out and we'll come back and report to Jesus just like we did before, right? <laughs> That's probably what they were thinking. All right, they've got the task. Here it is. And then look what happens in verse 9. 
after he said this, those are four very important words, right after he said that to them, boom, he's gone. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it would be stra- it is strange in some ways. It's not strange when we understand it theologically. But think about it. He's, he gives them the task and, and then he's gone. He was taken up. So this, this adds urgency to their task of witnessing. He's going to be gone and the angels are going to tell him he's coming back. You only have a limited amount of time. We don't know when he's coming back, but when he comes back, that's it. So you've got a task and you need to be doing it. He was taken up. Now, notice he was taken up in a cloud hid them or hid him from their sight. I don't think this just happened to be a stratocumulus cloud that, you know, was close to the earth and he just, oh, there's a cloud that I think there's significance to this cloud. The cloud in the Old Testament symbolized God's glory and God's very presence. Think about in the Old Testament when Moses was on Mount Sinai. God appeared in the cloud and covered him with his hand. Remember the cloud traveled with the Israelites by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was the glory and presence of God. The cloud lay over the tabernacle and it filled the temple. Ezekiel saw the cloud depart over the east gate. When Moses and Aaron spoke to the Israelites when they were grumbling about the manna that God had provided them, Exodus 16 sin says, when Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. So in Acts chapter 1, God is here. He gives them the task. And then he's hidden in the cloud and he's taking away from them. And that adds urgency to it. This ascension is one more reminder, along with all the miracles that he did, including rising from the dead himself, that he is no ordinary teacher. That this isn't just a good religious person, a prophet somehow that's come. This is the very son of God. And he has come. And now he is gone. (laughs) And he's coming back. As when God himself in the person of his son tells us to do something, as one of my friends in Chicago used to say, we best be doing it. We best be doing it. John Stott says there was something fundamentally anomalous about their gazing into the sky when they had been commissioned to go to the ends of the earth. It was the earth, not the sky, which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. So instead of gazing work, that's the first thing the ascension does for us. It just, it adds urgency to our task of witnessing. The second thing it does is, It sets the stage for greater things. Now, for this point, we're actually going to go a little beyond 
Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at some other places in the New Testament because the very fact that Jesus is no longer with them and no longer physically with us is very, very important. It's very, very important. Several things. So, for instance, he... He's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. John, he said to his disciples before he was crucified, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. A place in heaven. Greater works. John fourteen twelve. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do all the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Now you talk about something that blew them away. We saw Jesus do amazing great works. and But once he goes, they're going to do greater works. It's hard to wrap your mind around that, but I, I do think that when we witness for Christ and when somebody gets saved, they go from death to life, that's a greater work. That's something that could only happen after the cross. What could be greater than that? And then there is sending the Holy Spirit. You see, before the Holy Spirit had not yet come to live inside of people. He was active in the world, but he wasn't living inside of anybody. John 16, 7 and 8, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Think about it. Jesus says, it's better for you for me to be gone. Now, they, they wouldn't have ever believed that until they experienced it. Wow, Jesus is gone, but he sent his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active in the world about bringing conviction of sin to people. That ties back into that witnessing. As it's not When we talk to somebody, we're not the one that tries to convince them. We can't. Convict anybody of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. That's, that's God's job. We, he uses our mouthpieces, but he does the work in the heart. Ted Olson, the editorial director for Christianity Today, said, The ascension is not about him leaving us. It's about four words. And I in them. And I in them. Now think about how limited Jesus was. When he was walking the face of the earth, he chose to be limited. He was God, but part of his coming down to live as a human being was to choose to be limited. He got hungry like everybody else. He got tired like everybody else. And physically, he chose to only be in one place at one time. Jesus wasn't everywhere. Remember the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus when Lazarus died and Jesus wasn't there? If Jesus were in Jerusalem and you were over in Nazareth, you couldn't, I mean, you know, there was no email or text in those days. You couldn't get in touch with Jesus. He was, he'd lived with two peasants. 
very limited at a human standpoint. If you were sick and Jesus were 20 miles away, you had to wait till he got there. But now that he's gone back to heaven, now that he's ascended and he has sent his Holy Spirit, we have access to him anytime, anywhere. You can be here in Charlotte calling on God in your need and Don and Cy Hill can be in Thailand on the other side of the world calling on God at the same time and Peter Fredheim can be in Nigeria calling on God. We all have access to God anytime, anywhere. And that is different than the original disciples experienced. So, one more thing that is a greater thing that since he ascended, and that is that he is interceding for us. Hebrews 7, verse 24 and 25, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He left, he's in heaven, and right now, Jesus is praying for you and me. He's interceding between us and the Father. And sometimes when we don't know the words, the Holy Spirit, of course, prays for us with groans that can't be uttered. Romans 8 teaches us God has his son who's praying for us. And all of this is true because he ascended. Well, let's go back into Acts 1 and get the third point, the third reason the ascension is important for us. It gives hope for the future as we live in light of his promised return. Look back at verse 10 again. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And I don't think the fact that they were dressed in white, I don't think that is about the color necessarily. It's the glory, the splendor. It's like the, the, these were angels. These were radiant beings. In verse 11, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I don't know if we'll ever have a chance in heaven to ask questions, but I kind of want to ask a question. Why did they ask that question? Because where else would you look? <laughs> I think I know the, the reason it's written is because he's trying to change their focus, right? Because once he's gone, he's gone. And don't keep looking once he's gone. Maybe that's what it's saying. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The same way. The same way. What, what is the same, what ha, what's similar between the ascension and the second coming? There, there are at least three characteristics they both, they all, they both share. His coming will be personal. His coming, his second coming will be visible. And his second coming will be triumphant. Luke chapter 21, 27 says, at the same time, they, this is talking about his second coming, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. It's personal. It's the Son of Man coming. He's not sending an angel then. He's coming. It's visible. They will see it. People will see him. And it's triumphant. 
He's coming in power and great glory. First Thessalonians 4 says the Lord himself will descend. It's personal. It's visible. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Christ's reign began on October 1st, 1914, something invisible nobody could see. But Matthew 24, 30 says about that time, then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. It's triumphant. Matthew 25 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. It's definite that he's coming back. That's why the ascension is important. It's important because it gives us hope. It gives us hope that the person who's in control is really in control. And he's going to come back and set everything right. But we don't know when it's going to happen. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Mark 13 Verse 32, Jesus said, about that day and hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know what time, or you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, put his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Now, let me ask you this. How should our lives be different? Because we know that he's coming back, but we don't know when. There are at least two ways. First of all, morally, Titus 2. Look what Paul says to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to unrighteousness or ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live controlled, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus died to purify us and that we would live a holy life, a godly life for him. And now we're waiting on that time when he's going to come back and knowing that he could come at any time can Help us overcome temptation, right? (laughs) That's what Titus is saying. And the second way is just to stay in his work. Get in his work, stay in his work, keep witnessing for him, keep working for him, Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. In the Greek, that says he would have had his German shepherd waiting at the door. Well, not really. He'd have been ready if he'd have known when it was coming. We don't know when it's coming, but be ready. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
So let's, let's think about what we're, what we're seeing about the ascension, why it's important this morning. It adds urgency to the task of witnessing that Jesus left us. It sets the stage for greater things, sending the Holy Spirit and so forth. It gives hope for the future as we live in light of his promised return. And there's, there's one more thing it does. It reminds us that Jesus is exalted and worthy of our service and worship. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, something had already happened to Jesus as a result of his resurrection. In fact, Romans 1 verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. He had been glorified. He had been exalted. God had done that. And now the ascension was a visible reminder of them about how exalted this Jesus was. This was Jesus. He is exalted. He is in power. Jesus is no longer going to be subject to pain, to hostility, to opposition, to unbelief like he was here on earth. He's at the right hand of God. He's in an an exalted place. Way back in the Old Testament, Psalm 110 talked about a Messiah that would come and that he would even be the Lord of David. Well, when Peter, we're going to come later to Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches that sermon on the day of Pentecost, he, he ties into that theme. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Look what he says. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. (laughs) This ruler that was going to sit on the throne was not going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, not an earthly physical throne. It was going to be God's throne. And this was Jesus. And we see that in the ascension. We see him be glorified and when he was done he sat down on the right hand of God any of you work out in your yard on Saturdays <laughs> if you work trim those bushes cut the grass pull the weeds do whatever do all that stuff what do you do when you're done <laughs> when you're finished you finally sit down right It's like, okay, I'm done. You might lay down. (laughs) Jesus did his work on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And now he's in heaven and he, he sat down. He's done. The work of salvation is finished. And first Peter, Peter 
says it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That gone into heaven, that means he's ascended. I'm not sure I knew there was so much in the Bible about the ascension until I worked on this message. (laughs) It's all over. Now, there's one more thing I want to mention that this could be the fifth thing. It could be under the fourth thing. It really maybe goes under point number two about the greater things. But I, I didn't put it on the outline and I wanted to wait until we got right here because this is incredibly, incredibly important. Think about this. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's ascended into the heavenlies. He's got power. Listen to this verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, God raised us up with him, that's Jesus, and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus is in heaven. And Paul says, spiritually, let me tell you about you, believer. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has raised you up. And he has made you sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Jesus has received authority and power. And guess what? As believers, we share that authority and power of Jesus. We can do spiritual battle against the forces of wickedness, Ephesians 6. We can use weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10.4. One day we're going to judge angels, 1 Corinthians 6. And we're going to have authority over creation, Hebrews 2, 5 to 8. So we have power and we have authority right now and in the future. Christian, do you feel discouraged today? Do you feel defeated today? Do you feel kind of lost today? May I encourage you to take your eyes off of you your failures, your shortcomings, the difficulties of the world, and realize... Put your eyes on Jesus. He's in heaven. He's exalted. He's powerful. And he's raised me up with him. He has given me the authority. Right now, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That is, that union with Christ is is amazing. It's amazing. Until he comes... Keep on worshiping. Keep on worshiping this exalted Christ and keep on witnessing for him. That's my challenge for you today. Until he comes, keep on worshiping and keep on witnessing. We're talking about what happens when God builds his church. When God builds his church, it works for Christ while waiting for him to return. That's what's happening here. That's what God wants to happen here at harvest. 
I don't know if you wondered. I don't know if you even pay attention to the titles that we put on the sermons, but the title is a question today, Mouths Wide Open. That's kind of a double entendre. Were their mouths wide open when they saw Jesus go up into heaven? The text doesn't say that, but I'm sure their jaws dropped. So physically, their mouths probably were wide open, but because this was part of God's plan and he was bringing them in and making them witnesses to go everywhere, he wanted their mouths to be wide open to tell others about the gospel. And that's what he wants for us. He wants us to be in awe of Jesus with our mouths figuratively wide open, and he wants our mouths to be wide open to tell others the good news. Talked about my dad in the beginning. I want to tell you another little, I want to close with another quick story of back, way back when I was, I don't even remember how old I was. I'm, I'm guessing 13, 12, 13, 14, around in there. My dad, my dad played golf and, uh, before that, before I was old enough to play golf. So maybe, maybe it was even younger than that, maybe 10 or 11. I, I used to love to, he, he'd take me sometime to go with him and his buddies and I would just, you know, go along with them and watch and everything. And then eventually I started playing, played a little bit in the backyard, got these plastic golf balls and dug some holes <laughs> and, uh, uh, played and, and, and it was always special when my dad would say, "Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna let's go play, let's go play golf together." And I remember, I remember this one time very vividly. That it was a Saturday, and and he he had to go work part of the day. And he left me some chores. He said, "I want you to do this and this and this." Mainly, it was clean up my room, which that was a chore that needed to happen all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, messy with a capital M was me. Um, and I had these chores and he said, while I'm gone, you do these things and you get them done. And if you're done, when I get back, we'll go, we'll go play a little golf. And I think when he left, I thought, oh, well, he's going to be gone a while, you know? And so I, I got distracted and I started getting involved in this and playing with that. And doing that. And eventually, I don't know if I heard him walking up the steps or I heard the car door or whatever. I I looked around and my dad had come back. And I hadn't done the work. And I felt terrible. (laughs) And I didn't get to go play golf that day (laughs) with him. Because I hadn't... I hadn't been faithful to the task he left me. Hey, Harvest, when God builds his church, it works for Christ while waiting for his return. He's coming back for us. Let's let's work for him while he's gone. Let's work for him while he's gone. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.